First Kings chapter three this morning as we continue our series on prayer. First Kings chapter three. Today we're looking at this this interaction, if you will, this engagement between King Solomon and God. And really, it reminds us that prayer, though many times we make it much more difficult, if you will, or more mysterious than it really is, prayer is really just about engaging and interacting with God. It's just about conversing with Him. It's about letting God speak to us and us being able to speak, you know, to God. And that's what's happening here. And and so, we're going to see what happens out of this engagement, if you will, or interaction that God has with Solomon. I want to direct your attention at the beginning, though, to this. You'll notice uh, in verse 3 that the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 3.3 that Solomon demonstrated his loyalty to the Lord by following the practices of his father David, except, which implies that what the author is about ready to say is not something in line with, with God, with what God would want, okay? Except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense in the high places. In other words, Solomon was worshiping the one true God. Solomon wasn't worshiping a false God, but Solomon was worshiping God in the wrong place, okay? And we're going to see that through this interaction and engagement that God has with Solomon, that Solomon actually has a change of heart and a change of life. And by the end of this passage today, we're going to see that Solomon chooses to worship God in the place God wants to be worshipped. Where his focus and energy and time and attention should be, you see. That's why God wants us to pray. Because prayer is this great exchange between us and God. It's a way for God to move in our lives and change the things that need to be changed. And listen, when you and I keep our distance from God, when we're not in fellowship with God, when we're not praying to God, then we're either not giving God the opportunity to move and change in our lives and make the changes that need to happen, or else they're going to come about a lot more slowly, if you will, than they are when you and I are willing to come into the presence of God and engage with Him and interact with Him, especially in the area of prayer. And that's what we see happening here in this passage. I want to say this as well, being the pastor of a local church. I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that the primary place that a Christian should be engaged, the primary place where our energy and effort should be given is to the local church. And many Christians today are doing exactly what Solomon was doing. They're worshiping the one true God. But they're not doing it necessarily in the place that God wants them to be, you see. If you want to be involved in many other ministries, that's fine. But please understand what I believe the Bible clearly teaches. Please make sure that as a Christian, you're giving your first priority to the local church. And if you have leftover time, energy, and all of that, then... To other ministries. This is something that's not happening today in Christianity. It's one of the reasons why the local church suffers 
Because Christians are all about giving their time, energy, and attention to other things. But in my opinion, and I think it's a biblical opinion, you're just like Solomon. You're worshiping God, but you're not doing it in the primary place where God wants to see you at. The primary place where God wants to see Christians at today is the local church. That's why he said... I will build my church. That's why the New Testament was written primarily to local churches. That's why God raises up pastors. That's why God calls us to be part of a local body. Because that's where God primarily wants us to see our poor, our time, energy, and attention into. And we're going to see that Solomon has a change of heart. Even though he's worshiping God, he's worshiping in the high places. The places that God really doesn't want to be worshipped because they are reminders and they are, they are uh, still sort of evidence of the false worship and the idolatry that was taking place. That's where the pagans worshipped. That, that's where the people that didn't know God worshipped. They raised up high places. God doesn't want to see his people worshipping him in the high places. So notice it says in verse 4, the king went to Gibeon. To offer sacrifices, for it had the most prominent of high places. Solomon would offer a thousand burnt offerings on the altar there. And there was nothing wrong with Solomon's heart and, and wanting to show God, God, I, I'm, I'm in this, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, that was an abundant amount of sacrifice. And the fact that they were burned speaks about them being all-consuming. That, that literally, it was like everything was consumed by God. And by doing this, Solomon is, in a sense, by his actions, saying, God, you are priority. You are important. I want to worship you. I want to lead our nation in worship. I'm the king. I want to set an example. I, I want to show people that, that you know, you are worthy of these sacrifices that that you uh, are of greatest value and I'm going to give you my you know very best if you will and because I have so much I'm going to give you back so much I'm going to offer a thousand burnt offerings on the altar at Gibeon and I think that God responds to Solomon's sacrifice that even though Solomon is not maybe exactly where he should be. Notice how God operates in his life and in our life. The only way God gets us to be where he wants us to be is by interacting with us, by engaging with us. If God said, well, Solomon, you're, you're offering sacrifices in the wrong place. I'm just done with you. I, I'm, I'm just going to disengage from you. I'm not going to continue to, you know, have these conversations and I'm not going to respond to your sacrifices and I'm not going to come to you and appear to you. If that would be the attitude of God, then he'd never move any of us along, you see. God takes what we're willing to give him and where we're at because God understands the only way I'm going to get you to where I truly want you to be is by continuing to hang in there with you and engage and interact with you. And that's why even though Solomon is doing a lot of things well, he's doing it in the wrong place. He's still sacrificing on the high places, but God responds to him anyway, and notice, appears to Solomon in a dream. It says, One night, 
Verse 5, in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. He revealed himself. Solomon literally was able to see God, if you will, and interact and engage with God as he slept. Can I say that God does that with us? Sometimes the best time God has with us, where he has our undivided attention and where he can get our focus, is at night. Why sometimes we don't sleep. It's not always bad. Wouldn't want to do it every night, right? But every once in a while, it's like the reason we can't sleep is because maybe God needs to talk to us about something. And through our day, we're so busy and so distracted by so many other things that the time where God, it can just be us and God, is at night. Sometimes God uses dreams, you see, to speak to us, though, if you will, about something. And there's times where God does that. Now, listen, God can get our undivided attention anytime he wants to. But, but many times at night, when it's quiet, at the end of the day, when it's just us and God... That's when God can truly reveal and speak into us because he knows in a sense, you know, we're not occupied or distracted by anything. And that was true of Solomon as well. So he appears to Solomon in a dream and notice what God says. Tell me what I should give you. This is like every human being's fantasy, right? Every human being dreams about somebody coming to them like a genie or something and saying, what would you wish? Let me just give it to you. And we all have that, right? It's like, wow, that would be like the greatest thing. I I wish God would come to me and say, hey, what as I as God, what can I give you? You see. But God is not interested in just, you know, being degraded and demeaned as some kind of heavenly genie. That's not who God is to Solomon or to any of us. That's not the purpose of why Solomon is being engaged by God here. Now, some of you would say, boy, again, I I, I wish I was in Solomon's position. I, I I wish I could just tell God what I wanted. You can Does not Jesus and does not the New Testament, like in the book of James, tell us to ask? And that's exactly what the word tell means here. It means to ask. Ask ask me, Solomon, what can I put, set, or place at your disposal? What can I give you? What can I entrust to you, Solomon? You tell me. Tell me, Solomon. Now notice something. God doesn't say that he's going to give it to Solomon yet. He doesn't say, now, anything that you want, Solomon, I'll do for you. That's not what God says. God says, but I want you to tell me, if if you have an opportunity, Solomon, to ask me for something, what would you ask me for? I think this is a time for us to stop and pause and go, "What, what would I ask God for? What do I ask God for? If if the Bible encourages me, if Jesus encouraged me to ask, seek, knock, if the Bible says you have not because you ask not, if I'm encouraged to ask, then what do I want to ask God for? What do I 
want him to put, set, or place at my disposal? What do I want him to give to me? What do I want God to entrust to me? This is what God's question is to Solomon. Now again, remember something here in the backdrop of this, because many times when when Christians come to this passage of Scripture, they primarily focus on God's wanting to do something for Solomon and Solomon's response. And they don't realize that in this unbelievable passage, what God is doing through this prayer, if you will, what God is doing through this interaction and engagement with Solomon is changing his heart about where he worships. Because we're going to see at the beginning of this, Solomon was offering these thousand burnt offerings, but he was doing it on the high place. And by the time this engagement and interaction with God is over, you'll see that he worships God now at the place where God wants to be worshipped. You see, that's why God calls us to prayer. That's why God interacts and engages with us. Because it's not just about giving us what we want. It's about changing our heart so that our heart becomes like his heart and that we see things from his point of view and his perspective and that his values and priorities become our values and priorities and where God can move into our life and, and yes, change some things that need to be changed. Are we giving God that opportunity? Now, notice, first of all, before, so- you know, I'll give, I'll give Solomon something. You know, he's, serious. I mean, he's just a human being like us. But, but in some ways, I'm like, man, would I have been like Solomon? Because if God would have come to me at that point and said, Jeff, tell me what I can do for you. I'd have, I think I'd have been right in. Here, God, this is what. I-. And Solomon doesn't do that, which again shows his heart. Remember, prayer Like nothing else reveals our heart, really, and where we are with God and what our priorities and values are. And so notice before Solomon basically, you know, throws up on God, if you will, and blurts out an answer to what can I get? I'll tell you, God, what you can do for me. He takes time to thank and praise and give gratitude to God. He acknowledges how good God has been to him, to his father David, and to his entire family. Notice what he writes in verse 6. Solomon replied, You, God, have demonstrated great loyalty to to your servant, my father David. The word loyalty here means favor, loving kindness, literally covenant loyalty. That God, everything you promised to my father David, you did. You were faithful. You were reliable. You were trustworthy. You are filled with loving kindness. You're greater, God, than I could ever imagine. And excuse my English, and you're gooder than I can ever imagine, too. That's what Solomon's basically saying. God, you are good. You have been so good to me. You've been so good to our family. You have blessed us and favored us more than we could ever imagine or ever deserve. What a place to be in. Here God is saying, tell me, Solomon, what I can give you. And before Solomon even responds, he says, but God, I got to say this first. You've already been good to me. He's not approaching God from the standpoint, well, it's about time, God, you got around to asking me because I got a lot of stuff you could do for me. It's more approaching it from the standpoint of, God, you've already done so much for me. You're asking for something else? Wow, God, you're just, you're more incredible than I could ever imagine. 
So he says, you demonstrated great loyalty to your servant, my father David, as he served you faithfully, properly, and sincerely. And notice Solomon says, and you have maintained this great loyalty to this day by allowing now his son, me, to sit on the throne of Israel. By the way, this word maintained is a really cool word. It means to keep, to watch, to preserve. It's the idea of always being awake to support, aid, or protect. Solomon's basically saying, God, you've always been awake. You've always been watching out for this family. You've always been protecting us. You've always been keeping us. You've always been preserving us. You've always been supporting us. You did it from day one when you committed yourself and entered into this covenant with my father David. And you've not missed a day. You've not missed an hour. You've not missed a minute. You've not missed a second. You have maintained this all the way through. You have been so good, God. To me and my family, I I love the fact that Solomon here again, before he even responds to this unbelievable question or, you know, that God gives to him, that he counts his blessings. Something that we need to make sure that we do in our lives. Is instead of going to God in prayer and always saying, God, give me this and give me that is that we make sure that we thank him for what we've already got. That's what Solomon was doing here. And now he says, verse 7, Now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in my father's place. And he goes on to say that I'm only a young man and inexperienced. In other words, God, I'm humbled That's what Solomon's saying here. He's expressing humility. He's acknowledging his dependence on God. And there's no sign of self-sufficiency here in Solomon at all. He's like, God, this is such an awesome privilege and opportunity that you've given me. And I'm only young and inexperienced. I've I've got a lot to learn. And the only way I'm going to be able to lead this nation is if you're behind me and you continue to support me and aid me and help me and watch over me just as you did my father David. Because I can't do this, God, without you. Oh, that we would all feel that way about the responsibilities that we have in life. And that we would all be willing to engage in things that are beyond us. Not to settle for things in life that you and I can handle on our own, where we have no need of God. But God wants to set all of us on a course as a follower of Jesus Christ to be part of something bigger than us and beyond us so that it's not us doing it, but us, as we saw last week, doing it in partnership with God. And it can only be explained in terms of God being a part of it, not any human being alone. Are we willing to be part of things like that? Or are we settling in our life for the things that we can do? You see, God wants to stretch us beyond what we can do on our own to the things that only he and we can do together. You see. And that's where Solomon was. It's a good place to be at this point in his life. 
And then he goes on to say, verse 8, your servant stands among your chosen people. I'm at the very center. I'm in the midst. They're looking to me. I'm the leader. I'm the king. I know their eyes are on me, God. And they are a great nation that is too numerous to count or number. So God, I'm finally going to answer your question. You told me earlier, tell me what I can give you. Here it is, God. I'm going to respond. Give your servant a discerning mind so he can make judicial decisions to rule your people and distinguish right from wrong. Otherwise, no one is able to make judicial decisions, to govern, to lead for this great nation of yours. Notice, first of all, Solomon acknowledges these aren't his people. These are God's people. And God, you've entrusted me with this great responsibility and privilege. And so God, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you give me the ability to handle my responsibility. Give me the skills of leadership. That's what I want from you, God. Now in this too, if you study these words... Here are the two things then, the abilities, if you will, that Solomon is specifically asking for. And I think they're important. They speak to us. Because Solomon basically is asking for what it, what skills leaders need. Okay? And here's the two things that Solomon specifically asked for. God, give me a heart that will listen. A heart that will listen to you. A heart that will listen to my people that you have made me ruler over. Let me be open. Let me be receptive always. Let me be teachable. Give me a heart that will listen, God. Because before I can pour forth from my mouth judicial decisions, before I can make determinations, before I can make judgments, a leader's got to be able to listen. That's a great reminder for us. Too many of us want to talk more than we want to listen. And the Bible talks to us about we need to be swift to hear, slow to speak. If we spent as much time learning to listen and putting forth the energy and effort to truly listen to God and listen to others, we would be better leaders. And be the kind of leaders and people that the people of God should be. So that's the first specific thing. And then the second thing here is divine insight. To be able to see things, God, from your perspective. So that I can give the proper judgments, the proper determinations, the proper decisions as your leader of this people. I want to see things from your eyes. I want to see things from your perspective, God. Give me that. That's what I want, God. That's what I want. Notice verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon made this request. 
You know what that's saying? That's saying that when Solomon said what he said back to God, it made God smile. You can bring a smile to God. God was like, wow, that's cool. My child did that. And he did it all on his own. And and think about it. You understand that. and, And we understand. I understand to a point as a parent. Whenever your children get to a certain age where they can start making decisions on their own and mom and dad aren't there to sort of even oversee the decision or make it, and they make some really good decision all by themselves, don't you sit back a little bit and go, yeah. Oh, that's good. That was God. God was like, wow, there could have been so many other things, Solomon, that you asked for, but, but that was a noble thing to ask for. That... That was good, Solomon. It made God glad. It made him rejoice. It made him smile. We need to remind ourselves that in our response back to God and the things that we ask God for and the things that we ask God to do for us, we can make God smile too. We can please Him. We can make Him glad and rejoice. When we make those right choices and right decisions. When we make decisions that are selfless, like Solomon's, rather than selfish. And so notice what God said in verse 11. God said, and because you asked for the ability to make wise judicial decisions and not for long life or riches or vengeance on your enemies, I grant your request. And give you a wise and discerning mind superior to that of anyone who has preceded or will succeed you. God says, I'm going to bless you. If that's what you want, you you will have the most divine insight of anyone who's ever lived. And you, I will give you A heart that listens and and is a great listener. But notice verse 13. I love this. God doesn't end there. Notice the word furthermore. In addition to. God says, guess what, Solomon? I'm not just stopping there. Because that's not the kind of God I am. I'm going to give you what you asked for, and then I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. Furthermore, he says, I'm giving you what you did not request. I'm going to lay those riches on you and honor so that you will be the greatest king of your generation. I need to say this. None of us can ever outgive God. When we come to a place in our life where we somehow think God's being stingy, we're in a bad place spiritually. Because that's not who God is. God outgives anyone and everyone all the time. In fact, James even says, All generous giving and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or even the slightest hint of change. James chapter 1, verse 17. 
God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. God is all about giving. No one is more generous than God. But you know what else is happening here? What we see taking place here is the fleshing out, if you will, of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Where Jesus said, If you and I would be willing to pursue God's kingdom first, to seek first the kingdom of God, to make God the highest priority of our life, and His righteousness, then Jesus said, all those other things will be added. And that's in the context of Jesus trying to tell His own followers, don't be worried about physical and material things. Your Father knows you have need of them. He'll take care of you. Don't pursue and get caught up in pursuing the physical, material, temporal things of life. Make God and His kingdom and His righteousness the top priority in your life. And guess what God will do with you? The same thing He did with Solomon. He'll give you what you're asking for and what you're pursuing, but He'll also bless your socks off on top of it. Sad to say today, there are many Christians, because of their shallow faith and their lack of spiritual growth and their lack of discipleship, are all about pursuing the temporal, physical, and material things of life and giving God the leftovers and wondering even why, as they scratch and claw to have more materially, physically, and temporally, why they can't even enjoy it and why they can't be fulfilled and satisfied. It's because you're living life upside down. Jesus said the way to gain your life is to lose it. You want all that this world has and you want to be able to enjoy it, then put me first. Really make me the top priority of your life and all those other things that you really want. If you want me more than you want those, you'll get them too. They'll be added. That's exactly what happened to Solomon. God gave Solomon what he asked God for. And God gave him what he didn't ask for. Because again, that's just the kind of God that he is. Then God goes on in verse 14 to say, basically, if you continue to follow my will and continue to obey my word, I'll even prolong your life so that you can enjoy the things I blessed you with even longer. Wow. Now remember, this is all happening as Solomon is sleeping and he and God are engaging. They're interacting. There's conversation going on here between Solomon and God. But then the Bible says in verse 15, and don't miss this, Solomon then woke up. And I don't think, can I just say, I don't think it's a stretch to say he not just physically woke up. That his interaction and his engagement with God in prayer and through this time of God revealing himself and appearing to him and Solomon making it 
you know, so that he was willing to have this happen. He woke up spiritually too. Because there was a big change coming in Solomon's life and look what it is. Solomon then woke up and realized it was a dream. And notice what he did. He went to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant to offer sacrifices there and present peace offerings. And oh, by the way, being a good like member of the Oasis, he also held a feast. Because you've got to have food as part of celebrations too, right? Now notice something here. Don't miss this. This dream and this interaction with God took place in Gibeon. He was right there. He was still where the high places were. He could have left this and went, oh God, you're you're so good to me. I'm going to go right up here to the high places where I am in Gibeon. And I'm going to offer you even more sacrifices. But something changed in Solomon. In his interact, by him allowing God to move in his life, he realized, you know what? I shouldn't be sacrificing to my God anymore in these high places. I need to go to Jerusalem and present myself before the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where I need to sacrifice because that's where God wants me to sacrifice. And this is the part of this passage that most people miss. Again, they focus on the fact that God asked Solomon, what can I do for you? And Solomon gave a great response and God answered all that. But they don't realize what was at the beginning and what was at the end was really the primary reason why God even appeared to him in the first place. God wanted to make some changes in Solomon. God wanted to change Solomon's heart about something in his life. And God knew that the only way to do that was to interact and engage with Solomon through prayer and through revealing himself. That's why God comes to him. Because God wants him as the leader of the nation to stop sacrificing on the high places. Worshiping God, yes, but worshiping him primarily in the wrong place and get to worship God in the right place. In Jerusalem at the Ark of the Covenant. Notice. That Solomon's first demonstration of this newfound wisdom that God gave him was in his personal life. Where he expressed the fact that he would now be obedient to the place God wanted to be worshipped. And that to me is the most significant thing that's happening in this passage of scripture. I mean, yeah, there's so much other stuff here. As we saw this morning. But in this passage, it's bracketed by these two significant things. Solomon is offering God sacrifices in Gibeon at the high places at the beginning of the passage. And by the time he and God are done, Solomon is willing to leave Gibeon in the high places and go to Jerusalem and offer the sacrifices and worship of God there. That's what was really taking place. That's why God calls us to be people of prayer. Because God understands something that we need to understand more and more. That the closer we get to God, the more we stay in fellowship with Him, the more we stay in contact and connection with Him, especially through prayer, in being able to tell God things and being able to listen to God speak to us, 
That's how God changes the things in our lives that need to be changed. And that's how God changes hearts. And that's how God moves in our life. Because again, prayer is primarily about changing us more than it is changing our circumstances. And that's why God says, come to me, pray to me, seek me, and you will find me. Because God, just like with Solomon, wants to continue to interact and engage with us so he can get us to the place he wants us to be and the best place for us. And that's what he was doing with Solomon here. Solomon expressed his humility and dependence and need of God. Solomon basically said, God, you've given me such an unbelievable privilege and responsibility. I need you, God. I can't do this without you. But notice in the midst of expressing that need and his honest heart to God, that God was using where Solomon was at to also move in his life and make the changes that need to be made. Will you allow God to move into your life, to appear to you, to reveal himself to you, and to speak to you, and maybe... Make the changes that need to be made to change our heart, to be more like God's, to change some of the values and priorities of our life to match what God's values and priorities are. That's what we learn from 1 Kings chapter 3. Let's pray. God... All of us could say that, Lord, we're not, we're not where we exactly need to be. That's why we continue to, to even come to church and read your word and pray because we know we've got more growth. We've, we've got more maturing to take place in our life, that we're not everything that we should be. But God, when we give you the opportunity to, to speak and when we're willing to listen, when we're willing to be open and receptive and teachable, God, then you can move and you can work and you can change the things that need to be changed and you can move us further down that road towards being more like Jesus. And God, we saw it happen right here before our eyes from the pages of Scripture this morning in the life of Solomon. And that same thing can happen in our lives as well. When we, like Solomon, express our need of you, our dependence, we humble ourselves before you, God, and say, God, I can't do this without you. Then we also put ourselves in a position, God, where we're willing to listen to you and have you speak into our lives and have you make the changes and move in our lives in the way, Lord, you see fit. So, God, however that translates to each of us today, May we have the heart that Solomon had here in 1 Kings 3. May we be willing to let you come into our lives and speak to us and speak into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.